Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. This week, we're excited to bring you a legislative update with our CEO, Anya Radabaugh, as well as our weekly market update from our partners over at Blimling. Let's jump right into this week's episode. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pg.com/safety. Hi, this is Kathleen Wolfley from Bloomling and Associates filling in for Tiffany Lamandola. This week brought another positive GDT auction with the index up 4% from the prior event. Skimmo powder contracts closed 6% higher, reaching $1.95 per pound, while butter rose to $3.03 per pound, up 5%. U.S. spot cheese markets moved higher, with cheddar blocks closing at $1.99 per pound, up $0.08 on the week. Barrels finished at $1.94 per pound, $0.03 higher. Class 3 prices remain historically elevated, yet backed off slightly this week. Prices for the second quarter average closed above the $22 per hundredweight mark. Reports point to still plenty of cheese available in the marketplace and decent domestic demand. Meanwhile, export interest appears to be picking up as U.S. prices continue to trade well below international markets. Just for instance, U.S. block cheddar is sitting around $0.30 below European values and about $0.70 below that New Zealand GDT cheddar price. On the butter side of things, prices eased to $2.69 per pound to finish the week. That's down $0.07. Not much new news on the butter space as churns continue to just work through their seasonal build of inventories. Despite strength in the international markets, U.S. spot non dry milk prices eased to $1.85 per pound, down a nickel on the week. Even still, fundamentals continue to point to pretty snug global supply conditions in the powder space. Class 4 values remain perky. Second quarter prices are trading well above that $24 per hundredweight mark. Grain prices remain noisy. March corn was pretty perky this week with prices flirting with $6.60 a bushel. Meanwhile, on the soybean meal side, March soybean meal is trading around $450 per ton. In other news, last week USDA decided to extend the deadline for dairy margin coverage program signups. Dairies now have until March 25th to get signed up. Next week is a big one for USDA reports. The market is closed on Monday, but we'll get a cold storage report on Tuesday and milk production on Wednesday. That's all for a market update. Have a great week. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. We are so pleased to have our Western United Dairy CEO, Anya Radabaugh, back in the hot seat today on Seen and Heard. Welcome back, Anya. Thanks for having me. Of course. So the reason you're here is a little <laughs> less than exciting. 
We are um, and have been for the last several weeks dealing with Assembly Bill 558, which is authored by Assemblymember Nazarian. And this is a pretty scary bill. Um, disguise is something that's actually really good for California schools. So can we talk a little bit about the background of AB 558 and then we'll get into what's work over the last several weeks on the bill? Definitely. This is, um, this is a really tough bill. And I don't know if our membership or those that support us have remember, recalled, we've actually killed this bill the last four years in a row. And it comes back each year in different forms, which essentially is how it averts being labeled the same bill. And so over and over again, the main emphasis that this legislation offers, and this is Assemblymember Nazarian's last year in the Assembly, so this is his last shot at the uh, Golden Goose, per se, um, but the main uh, focus of AB 558 is that plant-based meals would replace beef and dairy meals um, or just, you know, essentially animal-based products on school lunch menus. And so obviously an organization that represents dairy farmers, uh, we, have, we have a lot of um, problems with that. We also have um, some challenges on the nutrition space when it comes to the, the nutrition profiles of all these products are not the same. That's uh, you know completely backed up by a great deal of science that a lot of our really um, wonderful checkoffs have done some good good work in, but um, the other thing that this bill does that has made it really complex this year in terms of killing or amending it is the bill also offers schools um, an additional funding and revenue stream, not just to replace the animal-based products on their menu, but also gives them an expanded uh, reduce school, school and reduce lunch program um, access to everyone in that household going to that school under the age of 25. So you can imagine in an election year uh, where the Democrats are the majority party in power, asking those Democrats to come off or hold back on a bill that expands nutrition access, which incidentally would also expand dairy product consumption, is really, really hard to do right now. Yeah, they sort of got a little tricky with us knowing that this bill has been defeated four years in a row. I think they had to get creative and it seems like they did a pretty good job of being tricky, I guess is the word. To yeah, say. They, they, they really thought through it this time. And in past versions of the bill, they had offered schools on a voluntary basis to replace animal based products with a 10 cent per meal incentive. Right. Well, this year it's 20 cents per meal. And so a school in most situations would actually have stand to profit off of replacing animal products, which um, there's a whole host of unethical things that have to um, be raised in that moment. But a lot of these school districts are suffering. They can't and find funds for, you know, laptops, computers, the new uh, revised airflow filtration systems that they're being told they have to have for coronavirus protection, right? And so they're looking at all ways to pad their budgets and this bill is definitely a help in that area. But the bigger issue, um, at least as far as the party is concerned and the caucus is concerned, is that you're gonna have people potentially voting no to expand free and reduced lunch programs and that's not consistent with the party platform. So as such, Western, along with our allies, the California Cattlemen's Association, 
um, have asked for a oppose unless amended uh, strategy where we are asking to keep the farm to school program that's been championed by Governor Newsom as a priority. We're asking um, for the provision that expands this free and reduced lunch access to stay in, right. but the plant-based replacements are something that we cannot stand. And that's a, that's a done, this is no deal for us on, on that front. Definitely. And with those, with those plant-based options, we're effectively putting junk food in front of kids. We talked about it a little bit. The, <laughs> the makeup of those products isn't necessarily healthy. It may replace one issue that people have with the school lunches, but it certainly doesn't expand nutrition access as we would traditionally talk about. Yeah. Well, and the, the term plant-based is also very gray. There is yeah. no USDA definition for plant-based. Um, the author in this case or defines it by saying anything that doesn't come from an animal. It's like, well, okay, but you grow you grow lots of crops with, um, you know, animal manure. So where do we draw the line? Um, so there's, you know, that that's a fair conversation, but one of the areas to your point about, uh, nutrition, uh, has really resonated amongst lawmakers. The nutrition profile of these plant-based alternatives is simply not the same as right. beef and dairy products. And that's very, very clear. But the other thing that's really bothering Democratic legislatures, and I would say this is appropriate for them to be bothered by, is that almost every single one of these plant-based products is sourced from outside the United States. So people, right, this is, that's a real hard punch to the gut when we've spent so much time and energy and money on behalf of the California taxpayer to ensure California grown um, remains a top priority. The governor's priority is to ensure that his farm to school program, you know, is very locally sourced um, because that means that California's exceptional labor standards have been followed. California's exceptional environmental profiles are being followed. And so sourcing pea protein, soy, sourcing a tremendous amount of soy from China has really, um, it, is, it, has, it has been an issue that has stopped a lot of the Democrats in the legislature in their tracks. Good. Well, at least there's some positive news on that. But I mean, if we have to stop them, that seems like a really good reason for, for folks to stop and think about what we're doing. And I mean, just back to your point about plant-based, I think Doritos are probably plant-based and I might like to eat those for lunch, but that doesn't mean it's something that we want to push in front of our kids. And I know you and I have had conversations on the side about how kids eat and, and how important it is to get, you know, vegetables and fruits in front of them at an early age to sort of like train good eating habits into their mm -hmm. lifestyle. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if a school puts um, plant-based products in front of kids, they're going to eat them or they want to eat them. They may not be palatable. And that leads to another big problem, um, <laughs> which we're dealing with in this country, which is food waste. So I, it seems like from a big picture perspective, looking at this bill, there's a lot of problems. There are, and, and again, we're, we're helped by the fact that, we're both helped and hurt by the fact that this is an election year and yeah. about 40% of the state's legislature is turning over, which is astonishing. Yeah. That's never been that high. We've got quite a few retirements that have happened almost you know, retroactively, which has been shocking. Right. But uh, the redistricting that occurred recently, um, so the folks that are running in 2022 for a new 
2023 uh, seat has really played a role in that. But that's why the bill, you know, it talks about exacerbating GHG emissions and blames it largely on the livestock sector. We know that's completely misleading. Um, And so, you know, and in fact, it cites some things in the now debunked, thank you, Dr. Milloner at Mm -hmm. UC Davis's Clear Center, most of the data points that it cites um, are from Livestock's Long Shadow, which has been almost completely debunked at this point. So we know that USDA and EPA says that that livestock emissions only account for a total portfolio of 3.3% of the whole GHG emissions. And we're not even talking about just methane. Right. So um, the food waste aspect, and I, I think you brought that up, um, you know, we're, and we're jumping around from nutrition, but the food yeah. waste is really important because if you've ever had kids or you've ever been around kids or you've ever volunteered at the school mm-hmm. lunchroom, you see what goes into the trash. And right now, most of what's going into the trash are the fruits and vegetables. And um, so we can legislate all we want that kids should eat, you know, their peas and carrots, but if it ends up in the trash and they're not getting access to like the chocolate milk, which is a very uh, widely published story right now in California, then they're not getting any access to nutrition, uh, sugar profiles aside. And for a lot of these kids, having that security of the school lunch program is some of the only nutrition they might get in the, you know, the whole day. Yeah. So we really need to use our brains. And I think that for better or worse, um, you can tell which legislators have kids in the school <laughs> system and which ones don't. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn there. But um, by using these, you know, these kind of global statistics, the the bill author really has tried to mislead people, you know, about the ills of the meat and dairy business. And uh, so we're a lot of this is just writing the 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 facts, but our lobbyist always says, if you're explaining, you're losing. Right. So we've really tried to come at them hard and fast with great policy reasons. And right now, the way the bill is written, um, it completely is counter uh, intuitive to what the governor has said he wants in farm to school. Good. Well, we're hoping our assembly members are paying attention that they understand childhood nutrition and all the different aspects of that and how that affects our planet as well. (laughs) And it seems like we may be able to make some good headway on this bill. Anya, can you give us a little bit of a a timeline or maybe an assumption of a timeline, what producers can expect to hear about this? Should it move forward? Will it be killed? Sure. So the the main battlegrounds that uh, Western and our our allies um, are, are entertaining in this space is going to be in the Senate. Right. And so, you know, I won't go into too many like wonky, uh, you know, capital nerd details about what we're doing in the Senate, but we have to approach our politics really surgically. And because of the expansion of the free and reduced lunch programs, I have to be very mindful of not putting dairy farmers in a position to be anti, you know, universal access to nutrition. That's completely counterintuitive to what we do. We raise food to feed as many people as possible. So um, it's a surgical operation in the Senate. The bill has already passed the assembly, which is fairly normal. Our strategy in the assembly was to pull off as many Democrats as we could. The bill needed 41 votes to pass. It received 42. Okay. And what that strategy does 
is it enables us to point out in the Senate, and it took, there was a tremendous amount of notice in it already. It, people thought, well, this isn't that controversial. Why did it only get 42 votes, the minimum number needed to pass? And it's because of our opposition. And it didn't hurt that we had our fantastic allies. They have become extremely good partners in this. The um, California Teamsters Association joined us in opposition and really helped pull a bunch of Democratic votes off that bill. Um, the Teamsters have been exceptional allies in business. I know that the labor movement and agriculture have some band-aids to put on themselves, but right now the Teamsters have taken the position that they need their milk truck drivers employed. Yeah. They need as many plants functioning at full capacity, and so do we. So we have a lot more in common with labor and the labor movement uh, these days than we ever will have moving forward in the environmental space. So the battle for this bill is happening now in the Senate. Unless we can pull it back, it is scheduled to be heard in June. Our members can look forward to seeing some additional messaging from us as it gets a little bit closer. I will say, um, you know, there's, there's, I think, waves of what a win looks like here. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that um, one outcome that we're hoping for is the amended profile where we strip out the plant-based pieces and expand access to lunch, uh, reduce lunch program, that'd be great. But yeah. the other outcome is to make this so controversial that we double refer it, we pull it back through a bunch of committees. And a lot of these folks that have to hear this bill are running for election, re-election, right? right. So um, they don't really want a hot potato in their committees any more than the next person does. So, um, and, you know, Western has allied ourselves uh, really well with some key members in the Senate. And so we're hoping that some of those relationships uh, were able to, um, you know, see the return on investment there. Well, it's kind of a touchy topic and definitely something dairymen don't like to hear that this has come up yet again, despite all the science in very many aspects, whether it's, it's climate or nutrition or food waste issues. But um, I think we're really proud of our team so far. There's been a lot of talk about this bill. We've formed some really good partnerships. And I think moving forward, we just have to stay strong. And if producers want to be more engaged, you, they can reach out to you, Anya, by email. It's uh, anja at wudairies.com. And um, we've, I've had a lot of questions. That's why we're visiting now. Mm -hmm. A lot of my members have heard about it and are really concerned. And I think it's good to just get the word out there about how we're handling this and, and the immense amount of work that's been done thus far. Yeah, this is really, um, and one of the things you and I were chatting about before we got on this call was the fact that the bill introduction deadline has not even hit yet. I yeah. think by the time this pod what runs, it, the, the bill introduction deadline is tomorrow, Friday, February 18th. So um, just to put it in perspective, there's probably going to be another dozen of these kinds of bills introduced or something that's anti-CAFO. Um, these are the reasons and the biggest reason why um, I would tell any dairy farmer to advocate for the existence of a trade group, um, a trade association that is pure and purely represents the interests of dairy farmers I don't have to get hung up in this moment on whether or not there is a conversation around almond milk because I'm purely representing the dairy farmer's interests. Right. Um, 
And so we've had a lot of uh, folks that have been allies with us. And then we've had some folks that are a little quieter, but you know, the advocacy that a trade association can do in legislation is, is particularly critical because what I see from my chair is this stuff isn't going away. Right. We killed 16 plant-based nutrition bills last year, 12 the year before. It's looking closer to be 18 or 20 this year. Um, this is how they are going to drive their agenda. They've had, they meaning the anti-animal act folks, social compassion and legislation. These guys are really professionally outfitted. They have their own lobbyists. They have their own PACs. Um, and so we have, have to meet them and they have lots of money. There's lots of sympathy from wealthy donors in some of these spaces because in most situations, those wealthy donors have the ability to have choice over their food. Yep. And that's something that um, I think gets lost in the conversation is that we should all be so lucky to have those choices in the food we put in our mouth, but a lot of people don't. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really important to me. It's really important to the organization that, um, you know, our members and our supporters know what we're doing in this space. Um, we have so far, and there's a lot of folks responsible for this, but the, the anti-animal ag efforts have temporarily suspended their attack on our environmental permits. They're coming at us through social justice causes and environmental justice causes really hard. But some of the conversations around water quality and air quality have, have been a little bit muted in the Capitol mm -hmm. in favor of this approach, which is they're trying to drive their agenda through the replacement of animal products through plant-based proteins. And that's uh, it's a real threat. Yeah, absolutely. But again, the good news is we're here, mm -hmm. we're working on it, um, beating back the threat for now. And please, as producers, just stay engaged on these topics and have those conversations in your community. And if you can engage with your local school districts and hook them up with dairy products whenever possible. I know we've done some donations recently to some local sports programs of the chocolate milk. There's a lot of research there about the nutritional value of that when, when, when it comes to athletes and especially young athletes. So keep on top of those kind of issues when and wherever you can. And again, if you want to get a little more engaged through this effort or with our pack, please reach out to us at the office, reach out to Anya or um, one of your field reps. And we're happy to connect you with Anya and Jason. Awesome. Yes. The fight will continue. Well, thanks so much, Anya, for taking time today. I think this is really valuable information, again, for our producers. And like I said, lots of questions I've had this week got answered this morning. So we sure appreciate your time. You're welcome. Great to be on. Take care. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. As always, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Seen and Heard. We want to give a special thank you to our CEO, Anya Radabaugh, as well as our partners over at Blimling. We hope that if you have any questions, comments, or content requests, you'll reach out to us. 
You can reach us at wud.pod at gmail.com. You can reach Melissa at mlema at wudairies.com. And I can be reached at darby at wudairies.com. Remember to please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform and have a great week. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. Thank you.